everything that occur in our lives is either permitted or sent. Everything that occur in your life and in my life, the Almighty is either allowing it to happen or he's sending it to us. This is certainly nothing for the Almighty because Father has no problem sending the adversary to your house. Ask Job. <laughs> you see, his goal is to get us where he wants us by any means necessary. And he will use whomever and whatever he desired to use to help us fulfill what he has called us to do. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The last thing Yeshua discussed with his disciples while with them on the Mount of Olives before returning to Jerusalem was concerning his return. Yeshua spoke to them in parables and gave them the understanding of their meanings to prepare and stay ready for his return, reminded them of things he had already told them, drew their attention to the words of the prophets Malachi, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, and spoke to his disciples prophetically as he revealed to them things to come. The disciples had no idea that in two days their world would be affected in a drastic and dramatic way as Yeshua would be taken from them in a brutal, inhuman, and undeserving manner. In order for Yeshua to fulfill Jehovah's will in Jerusalem, several events had to unfold with several players involved, including his own disciple who would betray him. The message title in this podcast is A Conspiracy, Anointing, and Betrayal. So, let's study. And so today we're dealing with a conspiracy, anointing, and betrayal. The last thing Yeshua discussed with his disciples while with them on the Mount of Olives before returning to Jerusalem was concerning his return. As he had spoken to them throughout his discourses with them, he gave them glimpses of events surrounding his second coming. And we talked about those things last week. He spoke to them in parables and gave them the understanding of the meanings to prepare and stay ready for his return, reminded them of things he had already told them, drew their attention to the words of the prophet Malachi, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, and spoke to his disciples prophetically as he revealed to them things to come. The disciples had no idea that in two days their world would be affected in a drastic and dramatic way as Yeshua would be taken from them in a brutal inhuman, and undeserving manner. Now, in order for Yeshua to fulfill Jehovah's will in Jerusalem, several events had to unfold with several players involved, including his own disciple who would betray him and set the stage for a conspiracy, anointing, and betrayal. As I study Yeshua's life in the lives of the apostles and the saints of old, I'm constantly reminded that for them to fulfill the purpose, the mission, the calling in their lives, there would be several people involved in their lives, several players involved. And sometimes, we put it this way, everything that occur in our lives is either permitted or sent. Everything that occur in your life and in my life, the Almighty is either allowing it to happen or he's sending it to us. This is certainly nothing for the Almighty because Father has no problem sending the adversary to your house. Ask Job. (laughs) You see, 
his goal is to get us where he wants us by any means necessary. And he will use whomever and whatever he desired to use to help us fulfill what he has called us to do. This is certainly the case here. And it came to pass in chapter 26, Matthew verse one, when Yeshua had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Now, when I look and read through the gospel and I see what happened after the crucifixion or when Messiah is apprehended, as we will see as we continue, I find it somewhat strange that with all of the communications he had had with them, they didn't see it coming. He told them what was going to happen. In a few cases, he told them what was going to happen to them. This morning, as I was preparing, the thought came to me how there are times when what is written seem to be applicable to other people. It's almost like, you know, if, if I was to take it in the natural, there are people who commit crimes when they know the penalties of committing those crimes could be incarceration, massive amount of fines, and yet they commit those crimes. And then when they get caught up in the courts or in jail, they have a revelation. Now, many have gone before them, and yet they seem surprised to be in the situation they're in. It's almost as if the rules apply to everybody else except me. And if we're not careful, that's how we will live, that the rules apply to everybody else. We hear constantly no one is above the law, and yet we seem to see that some folks get away with breaking the law for a season. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he always also reap. You may reap it in this life or the life to come. But one thing's for sure, whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. After Peter's revelation that Yeshua was the Messiah in chapter 16, Yeshua told his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. In verse 21, Matthew chapter 16, from that time forth began Yeshua to show unto his disciples how that he must go where? Unto Jerusalem and suffer many things at whose hands the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, what, is, what does this mean? Messiah is telling them, saying it, and they refuse to receive it. They refuse to believe it. He said, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto who? Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? No. But what was going on? Peter was being used by Satan. And what you're going to see as we go through this teaching is Peter wasn't the only one used by Satan because Judas obviously is going to be used by Satan. And so what do we see here? The people that is surrounding Messiah is subject to be used by Satan. What about the people surrounding you? Can you recognize it? Or do you see the people as your problem? There's no question in my mind that Peter and even Judas, based on conversations and things that we've seen, that we see taking place, were not only used by Satan, but they were used by the Most High. 
There are people in our lives who will be used by the Almighty and be used by Satan. And we have to be able to recognize and discern when people are being used by the Almighty. Because people who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit can speak things to us and we reject it or not hear it or not receive it. For whatever reason, sometimes our spouses can speak to us by the Almighty. And if we don't recognize when he's speaking through them and look at them as our spouse, we'll receive what's coming from him as coming from them. We have to be discerning of spirit Whenever we are in communication or communion with people. Why? Because every person, including ourselves, are subjected to being used by the Holy Spirit and or being used by the devil. And we have to be mindful of whose spirit we're being led by. Because there are people who have been led by the devil who believe they were led by the spirit. Yeshua said that there will be some who think they would be doing the almighty a favor in how they deal with me. People who are convinced, for instance, there are people who are convinced that we are fallen from grace. There are people who are convinced that they have a love for God that greatly exceeds our love for God and who in their own right compare their relationship with the Almighty as greater than our relationship because after all, from their own lips, we're headed in the wrong direction. And obviously, by comparison, they're headed in the right direction. Now, when you begin to look at their life and your life and you see that one of the things that demonstrates our love for the almighty is keeping his commandments and how they disregard his commandments. Now you have the litmus test of who's who, but they have been convinced by the enemy that those commandments are no longer void or no longer relevant in our lives. They are void. You see. So here we have Peter, who now, after a revelation that Messiah is the son of Elohim and being told not to tell anybody, along with the others who heard that revelation, Peter is being used by the enemy. Yeshua recognized that although it was Peter, his disciple, being used, flesh and blood. So our struggle is not with flesh and blood. There are times when it's hard not to see the person, especially when they are personally attacking you, personally using things that they are aware of, things that maybe you have communicated to them, taking your words that you have spoken, and trying to manipulate them and use them against you. And it's hard when you have a person before you talking and saying mean, nasty things to not see the person. But if you discern what's coming from the person, think about this for a moment. Someone who is compassionate, caring, and loving someone that you've fallen in love with, that you'll do, you'll lay your life down for. And then that same someone is saying things to you that doesn't seem like it should be coming from that person. You follow what I'm saying? Maybe it's not. You see, if you and I are not constantly aware that we live in parallel universes, that we are spirit and flesh and blood, then you will walk by sight and not by faith. You will not discern the spirit that you're dealing with. 
because you and I both know that there are people who snap, they go off, and it shocked you to the degree, like I was having a conversation, there's a fellow that I know, or that I knew, we worked together, we went to the same church together, one of the nicest families I've ever met, one of the nicest persons that I've ever met. And somehow in a dream, he had done something and was being accused. And I was asked about this person. And in my own mind, I could not conceive that that person could do what they're accusing him of doing. It didn't add up. It didn't make sense. And they would have a hard time convincing me that that person did that because there's nothing about that person that, and I believe I'm a good judge of character when it comes down to discerning people. There is absolutely nothing in me that could allow my thinking based on what I know to accept what they're saying. And and why am I saying this? Because In the sense, when it comes down to our loved ones, the ones we love, especially the ones we fall in love with, we may see some flaws, we may see some areas or issues, but what we do know is that this person is a person, if you're married, that you have determined that you want to spend the rest of your life with this person. And then for that person to go off on you, it's like something ain't right here. Something's not adding up here. And you'll find that when we get angry, when we get into places where we now have given place to the spirits, that they too can give place to the spirit. And if you don't recognize it, you know what'll happen? You'll end up in an argument. You'll end up in a big fight. And it could be irreparable damage or damage that is done that now over time begins to build and build and build to where you lose all respect for that person. Someone that you used to love, you now hate. And this is all the work of spirits operating in the midst of you that is changing and using people who are subjecting themselves to be used. You see, we brothers and sisters are to give no place to the devil, which is why you have to know you, you have to know what's expected of you. And then you have to walk in that regardless to what's going on around you or who is giving place to the enemy. Just because somebody gives place to the enemy doesn't give you permission to do likewise. Here is a situation to where now you begin to protect yourself. You begin to defend yourself. You begin to now save yourself. And by doing so, you step into a realm you have no business stepping into. Peter gave place. Oftentimes, we do not recognize the devil using people because we only see the people in the natural. Yeshua told them in chapter 17. Now, we we saw chapter 16. Now, in chapter 17, and while they abode in Galilee, Yeshua said unto them, the son of man shall be betrayed unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall raise again, and they were exceeding sorry. Second time. Now, he told them in other ways, but here he's being very specific. Chapter 20. And Yeshua going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be what betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And now we see who is again going to be used in this. And they shall condemn him to death. 
And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Yeshua had told them they would also be killed. Chapter 24. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, with all of this information, Yeshua spoke to his disciples about what would happen to them, the affliction and the persecution. Why are we so surprised when that stuff happens? We got the evidence. The same reason they were, because we don't believe it will happen to us or it would come from certain people. We just don't believe that. We refuse. We think we're the exception. Because if we don't take the instructions and the warnings that the Almighty has made known to us, we will be caught off guard and start operating in our flesh when stuff comes at us that don't even come close to the stuff that came at these brothers or Messiah. You see, we separate ourselves from the book. The book is old. The book is ancient. And in some way, we don't necessarily think it applies to us. We don't say that in our heart, but our actions demonstrate it. When people start attacking your faith, when people rise up against you and start calling you names, when people you least expect would behave and say some of the things that these people say to us, and yet it bother us to our core and may even cause us to operate in the carnal, get into the flesh, and respond in an ugly manner, unbecoming of who we are called to be. Because we separate ourselves from the book if we're not careful. This thing, this walk, brothers and sisters, have to be intentional every day. (gasps) All day. You know, another word that was coming to me as I was grooming this morning is there's a dung hill with your name on it. There's a dung hill with your name on it. I see myself personally, and I'll, I'll, I'll just reveal this to you and those of you who are joining us. I'm very aware of who I am. I'm very mindful of the calling that is on my life. I'm very aware when I look at what Yeshua said to his disciples, the difference between those who are great in the kingdom and those who are least in the kingdom. It's not arrogant. It's not boastful. It's not ego for me to consider myself a great man because of Yeshua's own words concerning those who keep his commands and teach others to do so. I will not refuse to allow anybody to diminish who I am. But if you don't know your worth, if you don't know your value, if you don't know the calling on your life, people will relinquish you to the dunghill that your name is on. And instead, you'll be operating in theses, operating in the trash, digging around in the trash with trashy people, people who don't mind going back in the trash. You know what's the trash? The trash is the old you. They'll go in the trash and, and drag you out if you let them. Because, see, when you go into the trash with them, you have forgotten what manner of man you are. It's like, why are you in the trash? If they want to go in the trash, let them. But don't go up in there with them. <laughs> You better recognize and be mindful and always remember and remind yourself if you need to, whose you are, who you are, and how you are supposed to conduct yourself as a representative of the king of glory. Because that's who you're supposed to represent. When we did the minister's teaching and training, and I talked about how I believe that those who are called 
to be the ambassadors of Messiah, those who are called to take the gospel of the kingdom to the utmost parts of the earth are the greatest people in the earth, greater than any prime minister, greater than any president, greater than any king or queen. Now, you may not have the status of a queen or a king or a prime minister or a president or a congressman or some impotent person, but according to the king, you are greater than any of them unless they too decide that they're going to keep the commandments and teach others to keep his commandments. Some of you may have a hard time even identifying and acknowledging what I just said when I say, I'm a great man. What you think about me is irrelevant. What anybody else think about me is irrelevant because their opinion don't define who I am. I've already been defined by my master. What about you? Can you identify yourself as a great man or a great woman, a holy man, a holy woman? Because <laughs> not only do you have to grasp this identity of who you are, you have to maintain it. You have to walk in it. You have to live it. And it's not just today because you saying it today It's every day, all day. With all those warnings of what would happen, where it would happen, and who would be involved in the process, the disciples seemed to be oblivious to what was about to happen. If the Almighty, if Yeshua says, a man's foes will be those of his own household, why are you surprised when you got foes in your house or in your family? He told you. Now, the sooner you embrace that, recognize it, know who you are and walk in it, they won't be able to get in your skin, in your spirit and cause you to start acting a fool. Because <laughs> you, you'll start recognizing that thing when it starts working. <laughs> you know that troubling? Because before, just like a volcano, before it overflows, erupts, there's some grumbling <laughs> You better start recognizing the grumbling, right? Because <laughs> if you don't, you be like that volcano again. The conspiracy and conspirators. Verse 3, Matthew 26. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people. Now, who did Messiah say was going to do this? These folks. He warned them. And now they're doing it. They assembled unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Now, I need to give you some lesson here. A high priestly conundrum is what I call it. In this passage, Caiaphas is high priest. In Luke, Annas and Caiaphas are high priests. Luke 3, 1. Now in the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Etruria, and of the region of Trichonitis, and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, <laughs> Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests. The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, how many high priests can be at one time? One. He always seeing some Roman involvement, which there could only be one high priest in office at a time. In John, Yeshua was first taken to Annas, who sent him bound to Caiaphas. Although Caiaphas was the high priest in the office, the people still regarded Annas as a person of authority and possibly as high priest. John chapter 18, verse 13. And led him away, Yeshua, to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. So now Caiaphas and Matthew is high priest and Luke is Annas and Caiaphas. Here in John is Caiaphas. Annas sent Yeshua bound to Caiaphas. Now, why did they take him to Annas first? Now, Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. 
And then we get to Acts chapter 4, Annas is high priest again. And as they spake, Acts 4, 1, unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So here's an explanation from history. Annas was high priest put into office by, according to the definition of Annas here, one, the high priest of the Jews elevated to the priesthood by Quirinius, the governor of Syria, 6 or 7 AD, but afterwards deposed by Valerius Gratus, the procurator of Judea, who put in his place first Ishmael, son of Fabi, and shortly after Eleazar, and then Eleazar, son of Annas. From the latter, the office passed to Simon, from Simon, uh, circular 18 AD to Caiaphas. But Annas, even after he had been put out of office, continued to have great influence. So the Romans removed Annas, put Caiaphas instead in the high priest office. But the people still seemingly recognized Annas and Caiaphas. And then when we look at Caiaphas, Caiaphas a high priest of the Jews appointed to that office by Valerius Gratus, governor of Judea, after removal of Simon, son of Camath, A.D. 18, and was removed, A.D. 36, by Vitellius, governor of Syria, who appointed Jonathan, son of Ananus, Anus, father-in-law of Caiaphas, his successor. And so here's where history comes in, because when you look at the context, the biblical context of what was taking place during this time of Yeshua's ministry, all the way through Acts, if you look at the synoptic, if you look at all of the gospel narratives, there's a picture that emerges. It is also good for us to remember the fact that when it came down to what the Almighty had spoken concerning David and the scepter not leaving his house, that from what the Almighty said, that whenever a king was to sit on the throne in Israel, it would be from whose house? The house of David. And yet when Yeshua comes on the scene, there's nobody. All of the kings from Herod the Great through all the Herods through the gospel and the book of Acts did not come from the house of David, did not come from Jacob, lineage Israel but came from Esau. And yet the people recognized to some degree, other than we're going to look at it again later on, but when they tried to get Pontius Pilate to do their bidding and Pontius Pilate began to speak about Yeshua, they said, we only have one king and that's Caesar. So now you got the people who are identifying Caesar a Roman as their king when there is a Herod because they didn't recognize Herod and Herod bought the priesthood by what? Building a temple. So I'm going to tell you, there will always be people who see religious authority that will try to exploit it for their own gain. If I was running for president or you're running for president, then if the majority of the people in the nation, go to church or go to some synagogue or some mosque or some temple, where would I be wanting to speak at? Church, synagogue, temple, <laughs> mosque. And who would I be looking for? I wouldn't be looking for the neighborhood storefront minister. I'm going to be looking for the mega church minister the mega synagogue rabbi, the mega mosque imam, the mega temple priest. <laughs> Why? Because I need them to help me get where I want 
and I can help them get some stuff, right? I could get them in my corner. I could have them support me, you see? And all I got to do is grant some political favors. That's all I got to do, right? Might even go as far as moving the capital of a nation or a state. Make me look good to pose in front of a church with a Bible. I mean, there are things that people do, and it, they've always done it. From all the way back to Nimrod, you, you go all the way back to Babel, the great men of the earth, always looking for who they can exploit. And the greatest of them is the devil himself. And he would look for those who had influence in the lives of Peter, which is why when Yeshua said to Peter, because Peter would be their leader, says, listen, you know, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. His desire is to sift all of us like wheat. And to sift is to stir, to shake, to agitate, to cause you to get into a different spirit so that you would fulfill what he wants you to do instead of walking by the spirit, fulfilling what you've been called to do. And there are so many ministers who have been agitated and for a moment did some things that have caused them to have a great fall. And as a result, just like the old saying, smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. There are people out there today that are scattered because of smitten shepherds. Their lives are wrecked. They are shipwrecked and they don't trust ministers, preachers, pastors, organized religion, church, none of that stuff. And they feel justified in doing it. Verse four, Matthew 26. So they come together in the palace of the high priest consulted conspired, if you ask me, that they might take Yeshua by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. You see that? But not on the feast day. Now, why? Those verses reveal that it was not the plan to murder Yeshua on the feast day. It was not their plan to murder him on Passover. Passover was immediately followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which meant that their plan was to capture Yeshua, give him a quick trial, and kill him sometime after Passover to avoid an uproar among the people. On their way to Jerusalem, Yeshua and his disciples stopped in Bethany. All four gospel narratives captured this event. Here's what Mark records. Now, Matthew had already said after two days. Mark records after two days was the Feast of the Passover and of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the made? for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. Now, what's interesting here is that a pence was a Roman civil coin. 300 pence was 300 Roman civil coins that equated to about a year's wage, a lot more than what Judas got, and this was used for Yeshua's purpose. Here it is, a woman who's taking a year's wage worth of spikenard and anoint Yeshua with. And here, we're going to talk about the anointing. Now, when Yeshua was in Bethany, verse 6, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he said at me. So where is the place? Simon the leper's house. We're going to see that the woman here is Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Mar Martha, the disciple who spoke. We're going to identify that disciple as Judas. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this. In fact, 
There are five women named Mary in the four gospel narratives. And so whenever you see Mary, you got to identify what, what Mary are they talking about? Because five, Mary, the mother of Yeshua, according to American version, this is you. She's mentioned 19 times. Mary Magdalene, 13 times. Mary, the sister of Martha, 11 times. Mary, the mother of James, nine times. This Mary is the same mother of James and John. Zebedee's wife. And then there's Mary, the mother of John Mark. And here's how we find this. If you look up Mary in the Greek, here in the biblical, if you've got a Greek dictionary, Bible dictionary, Miriam, meaning Mary or Miriam, the rebellion, Mary, the mother of Yeshua, Mary Magdalene, a woman from Magdala, Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, Mary of Cleophas, the mother of James, the less, Mary, the mother of John Mark, a sister of Barnabas, Mary, a Roman Christian who is greeted by Paul, and she's mentioned in Romans 16, 6, but in the gospel, there's five Marys. And so John tells us this woman was Mary, the sister of Martha. Mark doesn't tell us that, Luke, nor Matthew. So John, and this is why, you know, in order to get a whole picture, it's always helpful for me when I read in Matthew and there is the same story in Mark, Luke, and John, because what I'm going to see is four different perspectives that is going to give me a whole picture. Whereas if I only rely on one gospel, I've got a piece. John says in chapter 12, then Yeshua six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now we know that Yeshua came to Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. And then he went back up to the Mount of Olives. And now He's coming back and he stops in Bethany. So we see two trips, his triumphal entry. And now here again, after he's returning. So when I look at John, if I look at it in the sequence, it says six days before the Passover, that's when he came. And then now this particular time, because John chapter 12 and verse 2 is separate from John chapter 12, verse 1, if you look at it. Then Yeshua, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, there, where, in Bethany, it seems as if it's making the connection six days ago. Mark and Matthew tell us this is two days before the Passover. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? Two separate events, most likely. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Who? Martha. And where was Lazarus? But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, if you didn't know the story, you would think that they were at Lazarus' house. Right? You didn't heard the sermons, married and Martha. You know, Mary was, was serving and Martha was serving and people now, are you, a, are you one who's going to be busy in the kitchen? Or are you going to be the one sitting at the feet of the Messiah? You've heard all them sermons. I know you didn't hear some of them. And the sermons are noteworthy, no question about it. But the fact of the matter is, is that they were at Simon the leper. Now, Simon obviously wasn't a leper anymore. There are two places or two specific events that took place where there were one leper who got healed. And then in another event, there were 10 lepers who got, got healed. And one came back and said, thank you. So there are two separate situations where a leper got healed. Was it Simon? We don't know. But obviously this leper had some kind of connection to the Messiah he used to be a leper, but he's no longer a leper, but he's still called a leper, even though he's not leprous. It's something how folks don't want to let go of your old life. 
It is, you know. Folks remember you. And the devil don't want you to forget because he's trying to constantly remind you of all that stuff and hold you to that because that's the way he can keep you from walking in the fullness of what you have been called to. And you know what? He'll have you repeating it. But that's just the way I am. Well, you know, that runs in my family. That's part of my family DNA. You'll start acknowledging, well, I know I got an anger issue. Yep. Now, you don't want to get on the wrong side of me because I ain't all, you know, I'm, I'm saved, but, uh, <laughs> and pretty soon you'll embrace that old man when it's convenient. But once you embrace that old man, you got to live with that old man because that old man is going to show up at times when you don't want him to and embarrass you. Yes, he will. And you'll justify that embarrassment. That was one of them times when, when, when I, I, just got, I, I just got beside myself, I got angry. But if they hadn't done, said, did, you know, then, then that wouldn't have happened. So if you don't want to see that side of me, you don't want to see that side of me, then you better be on your best behavior. Because before you know it, that side of me will show up. Now, you may not say that, but that's what you're saying. You're giving that side of you permission. You got to put that side of you to death. And from time to time, you're going to have to, you know, remind that side of you that you're dead. You don't live here no more. Now, get behind me. Because that's the side that the devil is talking to. They got a relationship, you know. So there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Yeshua and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas. Now in Matthew it says, and they said, but imagine all of them talking at the same time. Now, one of them said, who was among them, and John lets us know it was Judas, Simon's son. Now, I don't know if, if Judas was Simon the leper, son, but his daddy was named Simon, Iscariot, or Judas of Iscariot. And this Judas is the one which should betray him. Why? Because there are other Judases in the Bible but this particular Judas is not, not one of them. This one is the one who's going to betray him. And he said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, now John puts this in there now. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You may not be aware of, you, of this, but there are people who may advocate for other people when in essence they're trying to get access. Beware of people who advocate for others, especially those who advocate for others whose life is a little sketchy. When you hear people talk about don't judge in reference to other people, chances are they're defending themselves in their actions and behavior. Well, if you're without sin, you, you cast the first stone. I know I'm a sinner. I ain't going to be throwing no rocks. You see, what do you have is you have a person who've embraced the fact that they are a sinner. Now, I embrace the fact that I was a sinner. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a righteous man. Now, that might rub you the wrong way, and some folks might have an issue with me saying that, but it's coming from me, not you. I am a righteous man. I am a holy man. Now, do I always 100% act righteous and holy? No, but that doesn't diminish the fact that I am. 
Just like those folks who confess themselves as sinners, they're not sinning 100% of the time. <laughs> Unless they are, uh, I'm just saying. Anybody who is not in relationship with Messiah in Jehovah is a sinner 100% of the time. Even though they might do some good stuff. You see. So Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, over the course of my lifetime, I've seen so many people embezzle. They embezzle. They start organizations. They're treasurers in organizations that are there to help the indigent, the least of them, if you would, the poor, the displaced, while at the same time pocketing the money, embezzling the money, taking from the Boy Scout, taking from the Girl Scout, taking from the football team, taking from the treasury. Thieves. And they'd be the, the biggest advocate. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation. Back to Rome, Matthew chapter 26. They had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Yeshua understood it. When Yeshua understood it. Now, you know, I underline this because at the time it was happening, Matthew seems to indicate that when Yeshua realized what was going on, meaning that he may not necessarily had been aware. Now, I know we like to think that Yeshua knew everything. But the Bible would tell us that he perceived, he perceived their thoughts. Here it says, when he understood it. The fact that Yeshua himself says he don't know the day he's going to come, that only his father knows that time, the question is, is he lying or is he telling the truth? Because, see, that, that doesn't reconcile with the idea that as a man, he's still God. That he, he retained his knowledge of all things that would occur. And yet he himself said he didn't. But in our minds, see, so when Yeshua understood it, here's what he said. Why trouble you the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you will always have the poor with you. But me, you have not always. For in that she poured this ointment on my body, what did she do? She did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for memorial of her. And so here I'm, I'm looking at the disciples and the people reclining at the table. She did this for his burial. Now, the only ones who knew that he was going to be crucified because he told people not to tell what had been revealed to them. He revealed to his disciples he's going to be crucified in Jerusalem by the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the rulers of the people. It's going to be done in Jerusalem. And early he says, you know, the Passover, let's go back real quick. Because I didn't point this out, but I'm going to make it known to you. If, if we go all the way back to the beginning of this teaching, Yeshua said to them, verse 2, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So now he narrows it down. It's not just going to be in Jerusalem. It's not just going to be by the hands of the scribes, the high priests, chief priests, and the, and the rulers of the people, but it's going to be on the Passover. He reveals these things to them. They don't make the connection. So now here are they reclining at the table and he makes this odd statement that this woman, what she did after he understood what was going on is she did it for my burial. Now imagine sitting at the table, having a good time eating. This woman comes along and starts anointing him and that spike nard smelling up the whole house and the disciples looking at the cost of it and Judas thinking, man, that would have been a nice, uh, I mean, 300 silver coins in the treasury. And Yeshua is saying, well, she's preparing me for burial. 
I mean, hearing those words, it's like, what this man talking about? Is he getting ready to die? This is another indication to his disciples, but they ain't getting it. And the people sitting at the table don't have a clue. And he's talking about his burial before the Passover. You see, if you separate yourself, put yourself in the picture, know what's going on up to this point. If I'm Simon the leper, Lazarus, or any one of the other guests who had not been told about any crucifixion, any killing, any death, any resurrection, and here it is, you know, there were some people who already said he was crazy. His parent, his mama and his brothers came to get him because they thought he had lost his mind. And now he's sitting here at a meal and we're preparing for the feast, a great celebration. And he's talking about his burial. And she did it for my burial. It's like, okay, if she did this for your burial, you ain't dead. But you know, the other thing. Yeshua's body was prepared for burial before he was crucified. Now we read after the fact that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea comes and takes his body and prepares it before the Sabbath. And then the women come to the tomb early Sunday to prepare his body because they are not aware. And yet his body was prepared for burial before he was crucified. If you don't pay attention to what he said, you will miss that. We will all miss it. So what is he saying? She's preparing me for my burial. She's preparing me for my burial. The betrayal. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests. Here's what Luke records in Luke chapter 22. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. (laughs) Confusion here. I won't deal with that now. I'll deal with that later on. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surname Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Now, when I read this, you know, again, and the only reason why I capitalized now, I'm going to turn this PowerPoint over to Miss Sharon, and I know that her editing She's going to turn around and try to capitalize Satan when I purposely. Now, I don't I don't manipulate, you know, here is capitalized, but I don't capitalize him because I don't want to give him that kind of esteem. Again, let me let me step back for a moment. Now, Judas is about to be used by the devil, Satan. Yeshua has already had to deal with Peter who allowed the devil, Satan, to enter into him and speak. I want to give you some sound, solid counsel. Listen to this. Anyone in your life that you recognized allowed the devil to use them from time to time, you should keep those people in your database. Why? Because there's a, there's a good chance that when you come into their presence, they very much might give place to the devil. If they've given the devil place more than once, and they've demonstrated that they are not necessarily committed to the commandments, and just because a person is committed to the commandments don't necessarily mean they won't give place to the devil. But these are warning signs that you should be aware of. Anyone who has subjected themselves to be used by the enemy are people that are likely to subject themselves to be used by the enemy, which means that when you're around those persons, you are to be even more diligent in guarding your heart. I'm working on, and I've been working on a message that. I call the the world, the church, and the kingdom. Now, I'm putting that out there. I've, I've been thinking about this for some time because I think that oftentimes 
we forget that we're of the kingdom in the world, and especially when we're dealing with church people. There's a reason why I say that I'm not a Christian, and Christians aren't my brothers and sisters. The reason why I acknowledge the fact I'm not trying to be Jewish. And anybody who is in Judaism who do not receive the Messiah, the son of the living Elohim, they're not my brothers or my sisters. My biological brothers and sisters are that. They're biological. I acknowledge the fact that my mom and my dad had individuals that I call my brothers and sisters, biologically. Kingdom-wise, if they don't have faith in Messiah Yeshua and keep his commandments, they're not my kingdom brothers and sisters. I'm saying all this to say that as a kingdom person, kingdom-minded person, that the only people that I give the benefit of the doubt to are other people that I've identified as kingdom-minded people. From a kingdom-minded person who has demonstrated kingdom-mindedness, I expect a kingdom response. I expect church responses from church people. Church people in the world has a lot more in common than they will ever have in common with me, even though they read from the Bible. You know, the Bible, there's people in the world that reads from the Bible. The devil know the Bible better than a whole lot of us. In fact, the church celebrate the same holidays as the world. On my way here this morning, I was thinking, and I saw it happening yesterday, where, you know, the church that I used to be a part of, they had what they call a watch night service. Very superstitious. Because superstitious say that if you start the new year, which means the church recognized the worldly new year, not the kingdom new year, not the biblical new year, that if you are in church on the new year, that sets the stage for your church activity for the whole year and preachers push this watch night service to get their members in the church house, bringing in the new year, not to bring in the new year like the worldly people do, even though the new year is worldly. You see, the church has a whole lot more in common with the world than it does with me. The world love its own. The church love its own. And I've come to find out that denominational church love people in its denomination, not folks in another denomination, because even that denomination said that denomination over there is going to hell. So even the church denominations don't necessarily identify other denominations outside of them as their brothers and sisters. You see how perverted this is? It is so perverted and unless you continually think kingdom-minded, live kingdom-minded, identify as a kingdom-minded person, you will accept non-kingdom-minded people as your brothers and sisters. And they ain't your biological brothers and sisters. You talk about a narrow way. See, the way has always been narrow. The more you are awakened, the more you realize how narrow this way is, and you'll stop trying to operate in a broad mindset, but your mindset will become more narrow and more narrow, even though you're living in the world and you know how to relate and navigate, but you never operate according to its principles because you've got a higher set of principles to live your life by, which you're being held to. See, the world is holding you to one standard. The king of the kingdom is holding you to a different standard. And it's not based on worldly principles or worldly standards. Let me wrap this up. He went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains. 
how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them. Where? In the absence of the multitude, the price of Judas' betrayal. Verse 15, and said unto them, Matthew 26, verse 15, what will you give me? What will you give me? See, that's that whole Balaam spirit. What will you give me? I'll get him to you, but what's in it for me? What's it worth to you? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Okay, that's it. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>